Well, hello, Crosspoint Online. It is so good to be with you on Easter Sunday morning. It's such a special day. Happy Easter to you and to your family and those that are with you. Easter is such a special Sunday. It's the day that people everywhere celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, it is a special holiday, but it's so much more than just a holiday. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus that's about a divine rescue mission that God sent him on. And it began when Jesus left heaven and came here for you and me. The reason that he did that was because of the mess that we found ourselves in. Oftentimes a mess that we made because of our own foolish decisions. It's, it's the kind of thing that would separate us from God. That's, that's what it did. And not only from God, but even from each other. But God sent Jesus to restore that relationship with God. And having restored our relationship with God, it's a whole lot easier then to restore our relationships with each other. Um, we learned that the motive for this rescue mission is the love of God. John chapter 3 and verse 16 is quite possibly one of the most well-known verses anywhere. And what John wrote was this, God so loved the world. He so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is coming for you, and Jesus is loving you and me. And He's showing you and me what God is really like, the things that matter to God. Jesus was, uh, those that were really close to Jesus had a hard time understanding this particular uh, point, but Jesus said something really powerful. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, they struggled with that, but what Jesus was trying to tell them is exactly where His power comes from, where His authority comes from. All of that, it explains so much. Jesus is coming to you and me. He's loving you and me. He's showing you and me what God is really like. And He is dying for you and me. Trey did uh, uh, such a great job explaining this last week, talking about this. He powerfully explained the reason why we really needed to be rescued. I said a little bit about this, but it's because of our sin. It's our anger, our hatred, our greed, our lying, our bitterness, our inability to forgive anyone else. All of those things, all the mistakes that we have made, our sin separates us from God. This is the story of Jesus, but it's not just his story now. This is where Jesus' story comes alongside my story and your story because Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin. He died for the sin of everyone, everywhere. Last week, Trey talked about what this satisfied and what this verified. It satisfied the justice of God because when things are wrong, they just can't be ignored. There has to be some justice done. 
when wrong things happen. And it didn't just satisfy the justice of God. It verified the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. Because what God did is substitute Jesus in my place, in your place, in the place of everyone, everywhere. God allowed the death of Jesus on the cross to be a sufficient, a more than sufficient payment for the sin of everyone, everywhere. One of the Jewish religious leaders at the time of Jesus unknowingly actually spoke the very heart of God, even the very plan of God, when he said this, it's better for you that one man die than the people, all the people, perish. So now it's Easter Sunday morning. It's the day that so many, as I said, uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and they do that because the story of Jesus doesn't end on the cross. It doesn't end in the tomb. It actually continues. And let's pick up where it does. Matthew chapter 27 says this. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. That's Friday evening. Jesus dies on the cross. His body is taken off the cross. It is wrapped in linen and then placed in a tomb and a stone is placed in front of the entrance to seal that tomb on Friday evening. Then comes Saturday morning, Saturday evening, and finally Sunday morning, the first day of the week. John continues with the story of Jesus. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Peter and John and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John and Mary run back to the tomb. John runs faster than Peter. He gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go in. Peter eventually catches up and he does go in the tomb and this is what he found. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So Jesus is nowhere to be found at this moment. Peter and John, bewildered, leave. Mary is still there and she stays there. She's overwhelmed. She's confused. She doesn't understand what's going on. And she's sitting there crying when she hears a man ask her a question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She knew that voice. 
she turned toward him and cried, Teacher! Then Mary went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. So what does this all mean? There's an ancient myth about a man named Sisyphus. Sisyphus was known to be the king of an ancient Greek city, but he was better known for his cunning, for his deceitfulness, for his trickery. He was so good at it that the legend says that he actually outsmarted death, not once, but twice. So the ruler of the gods, Zeus, gets really, really upset with Sisyphus and finally says, that's it. You're going to Hades, the place of the dead. You're going to die and you're going to stay there. But that wasn't the end of it. The curse was really that Sisyphus was given a stone at the base of a hill in the bottom of Hades. And he was to roll that stone up that hill. And what the curse really was, that just about the time he'd get to the top of the hill, the stone would roll back down and he would have to start all over again. His entire purpose for all eternity now was that stone. There are a whole bunch of people that argue over what the real moral of that story happens to be. I'm not sure what all of those applications might need to be, but here's one thing that I do know. At one time or another, everyone has felt like Sisyphus. They're overwhelmed by the burdens that they have to carry. Feel like nothing is ever going to change. The problems that they have are never going to go away. And that's just the way that life is. So let me ask you a question. If you think the way that I just explained, and I think a lot of you do, that life is just full of a lot of problems that are never going to go away, then what do you say the stone in your life would be? What are the stones in your life? What are the burdens that you are pushing or the burdens that you know that other people happen to be pushing just now? I've got a few that I'd like to recommend just for thought, so to speak. Maybe that stone is named guilt. Do you feel maybe that you can't be forgiven? Is there something that is in your past or even in your present right now that is just so bad and so horrible or just so wrong that not only you won't forgive yourself, but not even God will forgive you. He just can't because it's, it's that bad. Guilt is a horrible burden to carry. The next stone is kind of like guilt, but it's a little different. It's shame. Maybe you do believe that God's forgiven you. Uh, and maybe you, uh, you understand that, but you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Or even worse, somebody knows what you did a long time ago, and they won't forgive you. They'll never let you forget about that. In fact, it's not even about the incident or the thing that you said or, or whatever. It's not about that anymore. Now it's about the fact that they identify you with that moment in your life. It's no longer about what you did. It's about who you are. 
you can't get rid of that stone no matter how hard you try. Shame is a vicious, relentless burden to carry. Maybe another stone would be called fear. Everyone has had their bouts with fear. Fear can cause you to forget someone that you have known all your life. It can make you doubt things that you vowed you would never betray. Fear can make you see things that aren't there. It can make you believe things that never were and do things that you said you never would. That's how powerful and how insidious and how merciless fear can be. And just when you think you're over it, there's one more thing to be afraid of. Fear is paralyzing. Here's another one. How about not being good enough? This may be the worst burden of all of them. It's the single parent who thinks that they can only do so well. It's that employee who can never get the job right. It's that child of a parent who's always critical. It's the player on the team that the coach is never satisfied with. It's the believer who thinks God is only looking at sin and not looking at them. You're never good enough. It's that person who's waiting for those words of approval to come. And they never do. In fact, the only thing after a really hard day of work is pointing out the mistakes that were made, the things that were missed. There's no approval, no satisfaction, no gratitude, no blessing. There's nothing. Now those aren't the only stones, but I think you get the point. These are the burdens that people carry and that they push all their lives and they think that it's never going to change. Life is always going to be like this. So, okay, Shan, I get that. But what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the story of Sisyphus? What does this all mean to you and me? Sisyphus thought he was smarter than everybody else. Sisyphus thought he could actually outwit the gods because he just could. He thought he was lucky that way. But instead, he ended up with a burden that he couldn't get rid of and he couldn't outsmart. That was the burden that he would be stuck with for all of eternity. John wrote that the tomb of Jesus was covered with a stone. It's not the kind of a stone that can just easily be pushed away. This isn't even shame. It's not guilt. It's not fear. And it's certainly not being good enough. This is death. And once the stone of death is rolled in front of you and me, it doesn't matter how hard we try, it doesn't matter what kind of help that we have, it cannot be moved. But then Jesus came. This friends, is what Easter is all about. You want to know 
what Easter really means to you and me? You want to understand where this all comes from? I want to share with you a couple of different things that you can now understand about the stones in your life and why Jesus came. I want you to understand first and foremost that the position of Savior has been taken. And it's not you, because even if you tried to save yourself out of your own circumstances, you couldn't do that. You see, Jesus moves stones that no one else can move. He moves stones that aren't supposed to be able to move because only Jesus can do things like this. That's why he's Jesus. That's the whole point. And because Jesus takes care of this, the burden for you and me is gone. You and I are finally free. I'm telling you that Jesus is enough. He can handle your shame. He can handle your guilt. He can take any problem that you throw at Him because He's Jesus. This is the whole point. You don't need to figure out what you're going to do next. God does give you and I resources and opportunities and minds to think, but the best thing that God does is send Jesus to say, give it to Him. Because the position of Savior is taken and Jesus is enough for everyone. Number two, the power of Jesus has been proven. Did you pick up on that one line that I read in the account from John? John chapter 20 and verse 9 says this, that Peter and John didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Why did he have to do that? Because if he can't do that, he's not Jesus. There's a reason why we're still talking about him hundreds and thousands of years later. Because it's Jesus. It's not the average guy. It's Jesus, the Son of God. If he can't do this, then he's not Jesus. But because he did this, he is Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Because he's Jesus, he can do this. And because he did it, he can do it for me and for you. The position of Savior has been taken. The power of Jesus has been proven. And lastly, the purpose of life is living. This is not some silly thing. This is not some crazy cosmic joke that God is playing on you and me. The purpose of life is not to walk along and suddenly make a mistake and then carry a stone here and make another mistake and carry a stone there. And next thing you know, we're pushing this huge boulder up a hill and that's the sole purpose of our life for the rest of our lives, even eternity. That's not what this is all about. That's not living. That's dying. And Jesus came to take away the burden from you and me so we wouldn't be cursed because of our sin for not just for the rest of our lives, but for all of eternity. He took away what couldn't be taken away. He did what couldn't be done. And if He did that for Him, He can do that for you and me. So I say it's time that you and I cross over from the land of the dying to the land of the living because the tomb of Jesus is empty and life has meaning again. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have, the life that we have, 
the real life that we have. God, thank you so much for forgiving us. Thank you so much for rescuing us. Thank you so much for taking away the burdens that we thought we would have to live with all of our lives. The curses that we thought would would be equated with our name for all of our days. You did all of that for us in Jesus. But God, don't let us just be satisfied with the joy that we have in that victory. God, there are so many people that need to know of the hope of the life that Jesus brings. Help us live our lives in such a way that we can let others know that they can live too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.